Thermal Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Uh, there is a breaking news story go- going on um, involving, I mean, it's right out of the movies. There- there's no question about it. And it-, it, again, it underscores how parts of this city are just becoming completely and totally unlivable. If you haven't heard about this, this morning, around 8.15 on 79th and Capitol, which is a semi-residential area, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a North Shore bank. And what happened is there were armored truck employees who were delivering money. Now, they're not releasing the details. I don't know if they were filling the ATM machine or whether they were bringing money to the bank or, or whatever. I, I don't know. But this was an armored truck you know that delivers money they were robbed at gunpoint apparently several individuals and the reports i'm seeing are carrying high-powered rifles in a planned high-powered weapons came out and and swarmed and, and committed this armed robbery right outside of north shore bank um Robbed the victims, don't know how much money they, they got away with. This is an ongoing thing. But here it's 8.15 in the morning on 79th and Capitol, and you have essentially an armored car robbery. This is this is like the old days of the wild, wild west. This I know local authorities are investigating it. I would imagine this will quickly go federal since I assume if the bank, if these were bank deposits or money that was coming to the bank, uh, it's a federally insured bank or savings and loan bank, and so they'll, it, it, they've managed. So the, these armed robbers have now managed to go, managed to go federal. But if if this is in fact true, and you have people with high powered weapons who are descending and and robbing armed cars, these are very very dangerous people that need to be off the street like right away. So that's the breaking news story. I'm sure there'll be more details emerging. Um, involving how many people there were, maybe some descriptions and things like that. But that's that's the breaking news story. 79th and Capitol, something right out of the movies. 8.15 this morning, uh, an armored car heist, essentially. Pretty, pretty scary. All right. I, I, if you want to see a link to the story, you, you can follow me at Twitter. It's um, at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I said, in after talking to Tracy, I don't think I've ever seen a story like this in a newspaper before. I, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying not to understate that, but it, it's just an amazing, it, it's an ama- it shows where journalism has, has moved over the, the last, I don't know, several, several years, I guess. Now, remember during the governor's race, Tim Michaels, who ended up, you know, coming up short in his race against Tony Evers. Remember, there was this like breaking news story that they ran in the Journal Sentinel about how he had, he'd called like emergency services on multiple occasions, um, from his home in Shaniqua. And I'm like, okay, th- this is, this is breaking news. Why? He can't get a hold of his wife. He's worried about her. So he calls 911 and asks somebody to check. And this, and this is, this is like a breaking news story. Well, here's here's that type of story, but it's on steroids. Now, let me just 
before we get into the nuts and bolts of this story, let me kind of go over what the rules used to be. For politicians, typically, kids have always been off limits unless there is something that the kid has done that is in some way affects the, 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 the politician, the elected official or whatever. Why, why is the Hunter Biden story in the news? Well, okay, look, Hunter Biden is a, is a grifter who traded on his father's famous name. And so the question has always become, was Joe Biden aware of some of the things that Hunter Biden was doing? Did Joe Biden stand to benefit financially? That's at least a link as to why the Hunter Biden story is, is relevant. But, but in most cases, if there's no allegations or no links at all that dad or mom has, has anything to do with whatever the kid might have done, it, it just, it's not relevant. Kids are off to. The same thing is true with family members. There are a number of politicians, including some prominent Milwaukee politicians, who have family members who are criminals, who are doing time, etc. You don't see that coming up because, you know, you're, you're not your brother's keeper. You're not your nephew's keeper, unless there is some suggestion that you as the politician, as the elected official, tried to do something to intervene to get some sort of special treatment for your family member or whatever. But absent that, it's, you know, what is the relevance of this? On top of that, there have also always been a couple rules when it comes to journalists and reporting things. First of all, on all unless there is a major exception, um, newspapers, TV stations, radio stations do not name people and accuse them of crimes unless they have, in fact, been charged. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of times when somebody will be arrested for a crime and you know, you know, it, it's, it's known who that person is. Well, the newspapers, the radio t- stations, the TV stations will make the decision that even though we know who this is, we are not going to name them until they are actually charged with a crime because we think it, it's unfair because, hey, they, they, they might end up not being charged at all. So, you know, if, even if somebody is arrested, they don't get named. And as a general rule, The the media does, if if there's a matter that's still under investigation, where there's no charges issued and there's no suggestion that charges are imminent, you, I, I, I don't remember seeing situations where the media names that person and effectively, you know, accuses them of committing a crime. All those rules went out the window this morning. Jennifer Doro is the Waukesha County judge who is running for state Supreme Court. A lot of us believe that she will be the conservative choice emerging from the primary and that she is, I would say, a better than 50%, 50-50 chance to win the election for state Supreme Court. Now, the Democrats have tried to nationalize this, this election. They want to elect a very, very liberal judge from Milwaukee County who's already on record saying that, you know, she thinks this is unconstitutional and that's unconstitutional and she'll vote 
you know, to, uh, again, strike down laws on abortion. She's making no secret of where she stands. So the Democrats are trying to nationalize this. They're very, very worried about Jennifer Doro because of the, uh, the fame and the attention that she received after Harold handling the Daryl Brooks trial. So the, the long knives are out for her. So here is, let me tell you what, let me take a quick break. When we come back, I want to share the story that Dan Bice is, quote, unquote, reporting involving Jennifer Doro's, Judge Doro's 19-year-old son. Then I want to open up the phone lines and get your reaction to this. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is back right after this on WTMJ. When you need news the most. Police in South Milwaukee continuing to investigate. In Washington, D.C., history happening on the House floor. We are here for you. Looks like we've got a broken down vehicle. A power outage in West Dallas has affected class at several schools. We are Wisconsin's radio station, News Radio, WTMJ. A special thanks to our presenting partner for the Jeff Wagner Spring Home Improvement Showcase. Great Midwest Bank, your simply local equal housing lender. Looking to buy, to build, to renovate, or refinance a home? Start today at Great Midwest Bank. Local loan officers at Great Midwest Bank will custom build a loan for your needs through a simple stress-free process. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or adding in that second bathroom that you've always wanted, your neighbors at Great Midwest Bank will handcraft a clear-cut, flexible loan for you. Wherever your home journey takes you. The experienced loan officers at Great Midwest Bank have the tools to guide you through the process. They'll help instill confidence from start to finish so you experience a state of banquility. Start an easy online application at GreatMidwestBank.com. Great Midwest Bank, breaking down the walls to make your home dreams a reality. You're simply local. Keep it simple. Equal housing lender. This is ESPN Milwaukee's Jen Latta. If you're looking to start the weekend right, head to Bubbles and Brunch at St. Kate the Arts Hotel. Bubbles and Brunch is every weekend from 9 to 1 in Giggly Champagne and Wine Bar. And let me tell you guys, it is anything but basic. There's a local DJ spinning tunes, the hotel's acclaimed culinary team with a menu of elevated breakfast dishes, and endless mimosas and Bloody Marys. What is more fun than that? Experience a brunch that is anything but basic at Giggly Champagne and Wine Bar inside St. Kate. To learn more or reserve your spot for Bubbles and Brunch, Visit stkarts.com. The Truckload Savings Event is going on this Friday through Sunday at Fleet Farm. Score big savings on a Suet Plus 8-pack of Woodpecker Suet for $6.99. Don't miss out on four 24-packs of Fleet Farm bottled water for just $10. And save on Trico 30 Series wiper blades. Buy one, get one free. These deals will only last three days. So hurry in. Don't forget, Fleet Farm's Truckload Savings Event this Friday through Sunday. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so here here is the story. As reported in the local newspaper, front page of the local newspaper today, um, Cade Remington was an 18-year-old University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee freshman when he died of fentanyl poisoning on November 4th, 2021. Two of Reddington's friends told the local newspaper that he was frequently buying prescription pills from Michael Doro, the 19-year-old son of the Supreme Court candidate, that would be Jennifer Doro, her 19-year-old son, in the weeks leading up to his death. Reddington's friends and family want to know if one of those pills might have killed him. So they've now... Let me just start at the beginning. No charges have ever been issued. So now you have an illusion that, number one, this kid is a drug dealer, and number two, that he might be responsible for the death of someone. Hmm. 
Uh, let's see. Michael Doro and Cade Remington Reddington were last seen together by multiple friends outside the Miramar Theater about three hours before Cade's death. Earlier that evening, he had told friends he was going to buy a perk, short for Percocet, an opioid pain medication from Michael Doro. Two friends told the Journal Sentinel the concern is that Cade might have purchased a counterfeit pill laced with a deadly dose of fentanyl. Michael Doro has not been charged with any crime in the case he could not be reached from for comment. Some 15 months after Cade's death, UWM officials say their police department is still looking into the matter. The investigation is ongoing. In one of the updates that the family members were given, Reddington family members say they were told Michael Doro has hired an attorney and was not answering questions. Okay, so then the story goes on to give these details. And look, I I understand that the family of the young man who, who died, they are upset they would like to see somebody held accountable for this. I, I get it. I understand all that. And so the hook to get this into the news is apparently the dad goes to an event where Judge Doro is speaking and comes up to her and says, hey, I, I, this is who I am. I'm David Reddington, the father of Cade Reddington. Um, and then she immediately says, look, I, I'm sorry, I cannot. I'm not talking to you. And then she, she leaves. Now, why is she not talking to him? Well, because there's this active investigation. This is, you know, she knows that people are presumably looking at her son, et cetera, et cetera. So she just makes the decision, I, I'm not going, going to interact. The dad apparently believes that um, Michael Doro is obstructing justice. This is the 19-year-old by not cooperating with UWM police. Um, he apparently has a lawyer. The family wants to know who's paying for his lawyer. Is you know Judge Doro and her husband paying for this? Um, and, and and seems to believe that okay, I, I should I should ask and I could confront the parents about this. Then the story goes on to talk about how the Journal Sentinel talked with two of the young man who passed away, his friends, in separate interviews earlier this month. The two friends, both of whom who had known Kane since high school, asked not to be identified, um, but. They share their, They said they've talked to UW police, and they say that there's been occasions where this Michael Doro, the 19-year-old son, had, had sold Percocet or, or whatever. So that, that's the essence of the story. None of this suggests that Judge Doro has done anything wrong. Nothing suggests that she was responsible for, for selling drugs a, at all. Nothing suggests that she has intervened in any sort of investigations into her son to try to, I don't know, get authorities to go light. It's not like, hey, there's an example where the judge picks up the phone and calls the police and say, hey, this is my son. I I don't want you investigating him. There's no evidence at all suggesting any of that happened. So you've got... An investigation that so far has not resulted in any sort of criminal charges at all against the son of a candidate for political office. And no suggestion at all, not only no charges against the son, but no suggestion at all that the parent, in this case the mother, has been involved in doing anything to obstruct justice or in any way interfere with the investigation. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, let's tee this up. What, What is the relevance of this story? Is it relevant that 
a Waukesha Circuit Court judge who is now running for state Supreme Court that her son might be under investigation for, you know, involvement in this, this awful, awful situation. Is that in and of itself, is that relevant? Is that a front page sort of story, especially given the fact that no criminal charges have been issued up until this point? So it tells me that at least at this point, uh, authorities don't believe that they have enough evidence to bring charges. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I mean, I, even if there were charges, I think you have a, a huge question of relevance. But the fact that there aren't criminal charges at all at this point in time is a story like this that's at the front page of the newspaper only because of who the boy's parents are. Is that relevant? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. What do you think? We discuss. I tell you, let's take a quick break. We'll be back to take your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. one Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, how are you? I'm good. What do you think about this? Well, I take it from the aspect of my profession, okay? I I deal with um, drug addiction and drug overdoses all the time. Um, We know that 150 people die every day from a uh, fentanyl-related overdose. Um, We also know that, um, you know, 6 to 10, 6 out of 10 pills that are being pushed around today are likely laced with fentanyl. So my point is we're having a nationwide crisis. And I feel like that is not the fault of one single parent. We also know that young people, um, before they are 20 years old, uh, not to be scientific, but their prefrontal cortexes are not fully myelinated. They're not fully insulated. So young people are literally brain damaged in terms of making good decisions. Um, and so as this relates to Judge Doro, I don't feel like it's one parent's responsibility for a nationwide crisis, nor is it one parent's responsibility for a young person who is her child that makes terrible decisions. Well, I, I let me, th- I mean, thanks for the call, Julie. I, I, I guess, look, I don't, I'm not in any way absolving. If you've got somebody that, that is dealing drugs, all right, they, they, I mean, I'm death on that. They deserve to be held accountable. And I think it's, it's very, very fair to do that. But the question becomes, where do the parents come in? I, I mean, seriously, if you've got, unless you have evidence indicating that the parents were facilitating this or whatever. I mean, say there, there, you know, there, there's lots of parents, for example, who have dealt firsthand with the experience of having their kids addicted to drugs and things like that. And they, these are very, very sad stories. But the question becomes, does that mean, okay, because you've got a, a child that's involved in criminal activity or you've got a child that's got a drug problem or whatever, that that is somehow disqualifying for you? And I guess that's that's 
the, the issue here. First of all, there, there's never been any criminal charges which have been issued in connection with this case. And that's, that's what's so staggering to me because, again, you're in a situation where we, we typically don't name people until they're arrested and charged. And now you've got this kid's name all, and, and look, I don't know what his involvement is. I don't know if he's a drug dealer or not. So far, authorities haven't convinced, have, haven't said he's a drug dealer. You got a couple kids at UWM who, uh, speaking anonymously, say, well, you know, we, we, we think he was selling pills. They're not even willing to identify their names. Obviously, the UWM authorities or the state authorities don't believe they have enough evidence to issue even charges, much less get a conviction, and yet the local newspaper decides to name this kid. I, 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 I don't know what the facts are at, at all, but you, you just I've never seen somebody get named in a situation like this where all you have is a couple anonymous people who, at least people who the Journal Sentinel refuses to publicly identify, say, well, we heard this about you know this guy or, or whatever, and then authorities don't believe it, so you've got all that that's out there, and then, of course... Then you take that next step and you say, not only do we believe that he's a drug dealer, but, you know, there's implications that he might be involved in this young man's death. And there are no charges, nothing like that. And now you're just completely and totally off to the races. One final thought on the, on the just Judge Doro story. I'm getting a handful of people who are, are clearly over-the-top lefties on in politics, and they're like, wait a minute, don't, don't Jeff, you're the one that, that talks about for like juvenile crime and how we, we ask, you know, where where are the parents and things like that? Well, that the context of that is the the 14 year old kid that is out on the streets committing armed robberies and stealing cars over and over again at four o'clock in the morning. It's it's not necessarily the adult child of, of someone. And I guess this is an interesting standard now that apparently the left wants to apply that, okay, if it is a conservative politician or a conservative jurist and their child, their adult, now I'm saying child, the kid's an adult, the kid's 19 years old. All right, so you've got an adult child of someone who is, and again, at this stage, there, there, there's no even criminal charges. That's what is so mind-boggling to me, and it's one of the reasons why I'm semi-stunned that the lawyers for the newspaper allowed them to run this story where you essentially accuse somebody who's never been charged with a crime. And I, I look, I don't know. I, I don't know whether he's guilty of stuff or, or not, but he's never been charged with a crime. They publicly identify him in this way and then go one step further and then imply that he might be involved in this murder, that we're in this death at least, where there's, again, no charges, not even the underlying charges have been issued. I, it's just, it is stunning to me. And as far as the, well, you say where the parents are, well, I, 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 we're at now a new standard where every time you have an elected official who's adult child now runs afoul of the law, assuming they do run afoul of the law, assuming they're even charged with a crime, is that now going to be something that's that's relevant in with regard to, again, the, the, the politician? Absent evidence that the politician, the elected official, tried to intervene, absent one of these, don't you know who I am or don't you know who my kids are, that, that turns it into a different story. And I understand that there's some people who, just desperately don't want to see conservatives succeed and really don't understand or don't care about any sort of these distinctions about fundamental fairness. But I think this is just a, a stunning, stunning 
piece that really moves journalism down quite a few steps. And I, I mean, I just now, you know, who knows? I mean, now is it a situation where anytime somebody has a rumor saying, hey, so-and-so's child or so-and-so's brother is now involved in this sort of criminal enterprise, we're now going to like run with that story? I mean, seriously? And I, I just I kind of shake my head about this. Will this ultimately hurt Judge Doro and her bid for the state Supreme Court? I, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think so, but it just shows that, wow, I mean, there, there's just no levels. These, these rules that we used to have regarding fairness and reporting and journalistic ethics and things like that, they're, they don't apply in 2023. Now, you can argue that they don't apply selectively, and if it's a conservative versus a liberal, or you can just argue that they don't apply. But one way or the other, the standards have moved dramatically, period. All right, let us switch gears. A couple years ago, during the at the height of the pandemic, Tony Evers decided that he didn't think that kids, 16 and 17-year-olds, should have to take road tests anymore. So his Department of Motor Vehicles announced this new policy, and the new policy said that for new drivers, 16 and 17 years old, You do not have to take road tests as long as you've had driver's education, as long as you've had um, you've been 50 hours with your parents from behind uh, behind the wheel um, and your parents agree to it. Then there's no road test. You don't have to go down and prove that you can drive. All you have to do is have mom and or dad sign off on this. Now, of course, there's really no way of verifying whether the kids actually had 50 hours or 25 hours or whatever, but they avoided the the issue of the road test. And the justification under coronavirus during the pandemic was, well, we we don't, you know, the DMV's offices aren't open very much. You know, we don't want to have that in-person contact and all those different things. That was the justification that was given. Tony Evers tried to make it permanent before the last session of the legislature would not go along with it. But his Department of Motor Vehicles has continued to have this rule. So even though they're technically not allowed to do it under the law, what they've done is they've said we're we're still going to continue this program even though the legislature won't approve this. And it was just reported that once again the Department of Motor Vehicles is saying Look, um, we're still, this waiver is still in effect, and we want to make it permanent. Interesting story on Channel 4 the other night where a lot of, a lot of driver's education instructors are saying this, this is still a bad idea. Now, what the DMV says is, here's the reality, that 98% of the 16 and 17-year-olds who take the road test pass on either the first or the second time, meaning that at least some of them flunk once. So the argument is, since it's a 98% pass rate first or second time, why should we bother with the tests? That that 2% that we're going to catch, it's not worth having the road tests. So as long as mom or dad is satisfied with this and is willing to sign off on it, why should we care? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Well, candidly, I, I think there's many reasons why we, we should care. And, and by the way, 
Um, Wisconsin, what's the number I have here? Wisconsin is one of only um, four states that still have this waiver in place. In other words, while a lot of states might have done something like this during the pandemic, using the pandemic as justification, we're one of only four states that still allows this. All right, good idea, bad idea. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. And, and a couple people are are, are noticing that I, I, the DMV, in an effort to justify why they, they don't want to do driver's tests for 16- and 17-year-olds anymore, that they say, well, 98% pass on the first or second try. I haven't seen the numbers broken down. I, so I, people are saying, well, okay, how many fail the first time? And, and then pass the second time. And the answer is, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't seen those numbers. I don't know if it's 10% and then they get it on the second occasion. I, I don't know. But the, the truth is, <clears throat> these are people, there are at least a good given number of people who are not, who cannot pass the road tests, who are out there getting their driver's licenses. And I guess my question is, is that good public policy? And if it was a legitimate reason, if the justification was, okay, we've got, we don't, we have this entire large number of of kids who, young people who, they're 16, they're 17 years old, they've completed driver's ed, they're ready to get their licenses, but we can't road test them because we're shut down and we've got the pandemic or whatever, so we're doing this. Okay, all right, if that was the justification, it's not true anymore. The DMVs are open, right? Let's start with Amy in Door County. Amy, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Uh, I hi, happen Amy. To, my husband and I do own a driver ed company, and um, he thinks the idea of a waiver where the parents sign off is terrible. Now, we moved from uh, Iowa where they've had the waiver system for maybe 10 years, but the DOT instructor signs, or the driver ed teacher signs them off. It's good to go. If they still need more practice or we're not comfortable, we write must drive with DOT. So it, it has relieved the, you know, lines at the DMV, but um, it's a little safer. I personally, we, we can't really account for the 50 hours the parents are supposed to drive, but we feel accountable if a kid isn't quite ready to drive yet so we just refuse to give them their sixth drive until we feel comfortable that they could be on the road because uh those numbers a lot of kids don't pass the first time but it should be up to the driver ed instructor not the parents who may or may not be driving with their kids well see that was my question maybe you could help me out That, that, that 50 hours is, is that 50 hours driving yeah. with the driver's ed instructor or 50 hours driving with the parents or some combination of both? It's uh, 50 hours driving with the parents. With the driver ed instructor, they only have six hours. That's it. Okay. And so uh, if, some of those hours so, with so, the parents are supposed to be at night, so, too. Right. So if you've got a parent who really hasn't done the 50, there's really no way of verifying whether mom or dad has been in the car for 50 hours. Mom or dad could have been in the car for for 30 minutes, and as long as they sign off on it, the kid's going to get their license. Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. There's no way to prove it. They don't even have What could possibly go wrong with that? Thanks for the call, Amy. I appreciate the perspective. Let's talk to Daniel. Daniel, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, uh, I'm a retired Washington County Transit driver, and 
Uh, the things I've seen were horrendous, uh, especially with younger people driving. Uh, I believe, if anything else, they need more time in the seat before they go out driving, uh, and not you can't trust the parents to sign off on that. Uh, but as, as with your last caller, it should be if there's be 50 hours of instructional time, it should be signed off by an instructor. Yeah, uh, Daniel, th- thanks for the call. I, I guess I just I, I, I look at this and, and look, and I, I know that there are a number of responsible parents that are out there that, that are you know driving with their kids and are following all these different rules and, and feel that their kids are mature enough and they're comfortable. But let's be honest. There's a lot of other parents out there who just kind of view this as a nuisance. And they, they, they want their kid to get the driver's license because they want their kid to be able to, to shuttle some of the other kids. You know, now, now you can drive yourself to band practice and now you can pick up your little brother or whatever. And, and so... There is this incentive to just kind of let let's make this as easy as possible because I I, I mean matter of fact I know I know kids who honest to goodness weren't necessarily ready to get their driver's license at the age of 16, but it was their parents that were pushing them because, you know, they wanted the kid to be able to have access to the car so the kid could shuttle the chauffeur the other kids around and things like that. But I guess the the other thing that, that comes to mind about this is I think the, the, the road test, at least it's some way of telling whether or not the kid has the basic skills necessary to get behind the wheel of the car. And even if it is true that the vast majority of them do, is, is that a reason for, for saying, okay, we're, we're not going to do this and we're just going to scrap it because, well, I, I don't know, we want to... I don't know. We want to lay off more people at the, you know, DMV, or you know, we want to, you know, have people from the DMV. We want to assign them like other duties or whatever. I mean, and plus, I, I mean, I think the road test is kind of a rite of passage. I mean, let me let me see a show of hands here. I mean, do you remember? I remember vividly when I took the road test, and it was a long time ago. I I had. I, I had taken driver's education at one of these private schools that had been my one of the private driving academies. That was my parents' like Christmas gift to me or something because they only offered driver's ed in the summer, and I wanted to get my driver's license when I turned 16 in, in May. And I can remember making that appointment and going over there. My dad took me over there the morning of my 16th birthday, and I can remember driving and all that stuff. I mean, I think, I think it's... Um, just, I mean, it's that rite of passage, and it makes certain, and maybe it puts a little bit of pressure on the kid. And I, I, there's nothing wrong with that because if you, even if you're a decent driver and have the skills, if you're going to choke when you're driving with the the drivers with the uh, the tester, well, maybe that tells you how you're going to react the first time you're in rush hour traffic or something. Jeff, we were responsible parents. My son had behind the wheel. He had 40 to 50 to 60 hours of parent driving, and during the pandemic, we still made him go in for testing because I was worried about a lawsuit. I'd rather have the DOT sign off saying he's worthy to drive than my signature and then maybe something else um, happens. Jeff, I'm curious what the impact of this policy that the state has taken uh, on has on my auto insurance. I'm now surrounded by teen drivers that have not been adequately trained. It may be legal, but I'm sure the insurance companies don't care if it's legal or not. Well, I... Again, I don't know if it's fair to say that they haven't been adequately trained. I'm just saying, as our first caller, the driver's ed teacher, Amy, was talking about, there, there's no verification of that. I mean, there, there's nothing 
it, it's not like it's monitored. So if mom or dad says you were behind the wheel for, for 50 hours, there's, you know, no way of verifying that, you know, at all. Um, Jeff, the Wisconsin DMV originally put out a number that wasn't alarming for first-time tests, and they also downplayed the common downgrades as not significant or safety-related anyways. Uh, to me, the issue is knowledge. Hands-on driving is one thing and very necessary, but some of that hands-on comes with experience. Large number of drivers get by with limited knowledge of what they are supposed to do. Jeff, I think if the parents sign off on the kids and they get a ticket, the point should come off the parents' license. Well, look, I, th- this, I, I guess you, you can argue whether the roads are substantially less safe because of this policy. But to me, this is one of these classic examples of where, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. For whatever reason, Tony Evers wants to make it easier for 16 and 17 year old kids to get driver's licenses and, and what's going on with him and his DMV you know who who knows with that but the excuse is we're going to do this because of the pandemic and, and you can say all right well maybe it makes sense in the pandemic but now the pandemic is over and now we want to make this permanent even though by the way the legislature which if it's going to happen, the legislature has to change the law, and the legislature has no interest in changing the law. So Evers, by executive fiat, just says, well, we're going to continue to do this. Are the roads substantially less safe because of this policy? I don't think you can say that. Are the roads safer because of this policy? There's no way in God's green earth you can make that argument. You just simply can't. What's wrong with having that final check of kids, somebody that drives with them outside of mom and dad, who says, okay, you know you, you know where the brake is, you know where the gas is, you can see well enough to navigate, you know that you're not supposed to blow through stop signs. I mean, we, we keep hearing all this, the, the, answer, the answer to some of our reckless driving situations is we, we need more driver's education. Well, okay, if you believe that and you buy into that, What's wrong with having some testing to make sure that the driver's ed has taken and the kid has the experience they are supposed to have? But we're we're not moving in that direction at this point. Okay, when we come back, I want to switch gears. We're going to move away from statewide issues and local issues. We haven't discussed what's been going on in the war between Russia and Ukraine. There have been a couple major, major, major developments this week, and some people think... We're a lot closer to World War III than we've ever been. We're going to discuss whether a decision made by Germany and the United States this week was correct, incorrect, or too soon to tell. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Um, it has been, well, the, it's been, what, going on, gee, going on 11 months since Russia invaded Ukraine. And if you want to look at calculations that, that leaders have made, I think it's impossible to argue that, that Vladimir Putin could not have been more wrong in his assumption that I'm going to invade Ukraine and we are going to take over the country in a matter of days and we are going to be viewed as conquering heroes and it's going to all be wonderful. That was the uh, assumption he made. He also assumed that the West 
would not unite against him, that the fact that Russia has a whole bunch of oil would cause countries to say, well, even though we don't support this aggression, we're going to look the other way because, you know, we, we don't want to lose Russian oil. He was wrong about that as well. As we know, um, the war in Ukraine right now has become... I don't know the equivalent of America's involvement in Vietnam, French, France's involvement in Vietnam, Russia's involvement in Afghanistan decades ago. It's, it's a war which has not gone well. It's a war which has required Vladimir Putin to start drafting you know, hundreds of thousands of people and put them into the front lines. It's a war that has caused all sorts of problems domestically in Russia, not just the economic ones, but also political ones. As lots of people say, what, what in fact are we doing there? And it's a war that now appears to be a war of attrition. By, by that I mean... You know, Russia is doing everything it possibly can, just like Hitler did in World War II. And I'm the one who is very, very careful about using, like, Hitler references. I, I think, you know, you see that too often. Oh, this is like Hitler. That was like Hitler. No, what, what Putin is doing in Ukraine is exactly what Hitler was doing towards the end of World War II when Germany was losing. And what he would do is he would send those buzz bombs and stuff and kill civilians in, in London. Or And the idea was, I am going to try to terrorize the the, the people of, of Great Britain. I'm going to try to terrorize them so much that they will they will capitulate. They'll give me what I want because I, I'm just going to take such a high civilian toll. That's what Putin is doing now. I saw that yesterday they said that they launched 55 missiles, you know, attacks at various sites. These are Russian missiles. 47 were shot, shot down, but like eight landed. So, I mean, he's trying to take out infrastructure. It's winter in Ukraine. It's, it's a campaign of terror. And it's also a, a campaign which has just devastated this country. About 25% of people have fled. The gross national product is, is down to like almost nothing. And there, there's no end in sight. And the word is, is that Putin is preparing for another major offensive in spring. And again, he keeps hoping that the West is going to get tired of supporting Ukraine, that they're going to collectively, and by the West, I mean I mean NATO and some of the other non-NATO countries, and of course the United States, going to get tired of this, and that ultimately they'll back off and force either Ukraine to surrender or pull back enough resources to allow him to achieve a military victory that gets farther and farther away on any given day. Well... All right, what happened this week is that the U.S., after resisting this for months and months, and Germany, after resisting this for months and months, both agree to provide Ukraine with these high-tech, modern battle tanks. The story is the U.S. is going to send 31 of its top-rank M1 Abrams tanks and support vehicles to Ukraine. The Germans are going to deliver 14 Leopard A26 tanks, which are Europe's most sophisticated battle tank, to Ukraine. And the thinking is that these tanks are going to give Ukrainian forces a significant battlefield advantage against Russia. 
And now Poland and other European nations are also agreeing to send some of their leopard tanks to Ukraine as well. Now, look, I, I don't claim to be an armaments you know, expert or anything like that, but these tanks are considered to be far superior to the Soviet-era tanks used by Ukrainian and Russian forces right now. They're faster, they have more firepower, they have better targeting hardware, and they provide increased protection to tank crews. So this this gives Ukraine a substantial advantage when it comes to tank warfare. And the idea is if Russia does launch an advance in the spring, th- these tanks will give Ukraine uh, an advantage in trying to push them back. I mean, similarly, you can also argue that if Ukraine is going to try to retake and, and push Russia out of some of the land it's taken, these give them an advantage as as well. Now, there's going to be a bit of a delay because at least the U.S. tanks, um, they have to go through a procurement process, so it's going to take a few months, and then there's a lot of training that goes involved with this with these tanks, and there's a lot of maintenance. It's not like you just kind of jump in and say, okay, here, I'm going to start this thing up, and we're going to go. So there's a lot, there's a lot of training that comes into this, but this gives Ukraine a significant advantage, at least when it comes to tank warfare in defending their territory and maybe pushing the Russians back. Russia is livid and considers this to be a major escalation of the conflict. Russia is threatening Germany with nuclear retaliation and things of the like. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, did Joe Biden do the right thing? Did Germany do the right thing? By agreeing, and Ukraine's wanted this for a year, essentially, and we've been saying no, Germany's been saying no, we finally decided, okay, we're going to say yes. The concern Russia's had, I mean, the concern the U.S. has always had, is this can escalate the conflict. It could, but does that mean it's the wrong thing? 855-616-1620, I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. My take on this: it's about time. I mean, I, I think, given we we all I think want to see some sort of resolution of this, but Vladimir Putin has shown no signs of of being willing to resolve this. And as a matter of fact, the, the worse it gets for the Russian military, the more he doubles down, whether it's, again, the, the murder, and that's what this is, of, of civilians by targeting civilian infrastructure and things like that. The, the truth of the matter is, it's in for a penny, in for a pound. Now, as long as you put limits on the fact that, okay, we're not going to use these weapons as offensive weapons. By offensive weapons, I mean, you know, we're not going to have these tanks that are going to be driving towards Moscow and things like that. But if if they're used to repel the Russian invasion, I, I think I think it's fair. Now I will say this that the, the Ukraines and I understand this. If I was the Ukrainian president, I, I'd be saying the same thing. Now that they've got the tanks, they want F sixteen fighter jets, which is a, a whole nother story. But it's like give us more, give us more, allow us to allow us to take the fight to the fight to Russia, they are doing God's work in, in many respects. So how can how can the West not support them? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Ron in Michigan. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hello, Jeff. Jeff, uh, you, all these analogies to World War II, and this, so let's go back to the, the very root of this, World War II. After World, before World War II ended, in 1944, the, United, the OSS was in talks with General Electric with the SS. This is in a book, The Hidden Nazi. Uh, SS General Kelmer, who was in charge of building the concentration camps, he was in charge of the uh, V2, V1, Messerschmitts, the atomic program. He was in charge of all this, SS. Uh, slave labor. Is for, like I said, it's 44. Okay, but where, it's, where, where are we going with this? Okay, where are we going with this? Okay, uh, here. Uh, General Yellen was head of the uh, SS. We took him in at, at, after World War II. And his stipulation, you take all of my information, all of my people, and they have to be incorporated into the OSS. No war crimes trials. General Yellen became the, the head of uh, uh, NATO. He became the highest uh, German general. Okay. Unrepentant Nazi, head head of uh, SS. Okay, I'm sorry, Rob, where are we going with this? How does this relate to tanks in Ukraine? How does it relate to tanks in Ukraine? There's no stopping it, Jeff. Jeff, we're going to continue this until atomic uh, warfare, and that's the, that's the end of it. Okay, plain and simple. We the cat is out of the bag. You know, we're, we we push NATO to the, the the to Moscow's doorstep. They're going to push back with atomic bombs. So uh, that, that's in my opinion, you know, but anybody who supports this uh, war effort, do you, do you have your son or daughter signing up for the military? I have a son in uniform now. I'm a Vietnam veteran. You know, put skin in the game. You know, don't just say send my tank, send my tank. We, we have to have soldiers, our soldiers, because Ukraine will not be happy until he has the Marines and the 82nd Airborne fighting the, the Russians. And you know it as well as I do. The Ukrainians will not do it alone. Well, Ron, th- thanks for call. I, pre- I mean, I don't look. I, I think I understand if the argument is that okay, it, it's a slippery sort of slope. I don't know that anybody is arguing, or at least that I, I don't think that there's any chance that right now we're talking about you know putting you know U.S. troops on the ground and things like that. And quite candidly, so far Ukraine has been doing one heck of a job, I think, in defending their country. Now, you know, what will Putin do? I mean, is it possible? And see, and that's one of our texters was saying that they don't object to what happened, but they don't understand why it's all public. Well, part of it was the politics of this. Uh, there was a push for Germany to, you know, send them these leopard tanks that they have, and it was very controversial in within Germany. But the only way Germany, at least the German leaders, got support to this is when Biden signed off on it as well. And I understand they think that there's a risk that this escalates, but the question is, do you? Do we sit there and simply allow Vladimir Putin to send missiles in and kill Ukrainian civilians? I mean, is that is that something that is in the interest of the rest of the world to do? And do we reward him if you accept my premise that he's losing he's losing these battles? And I mean, Putin's big miscalculation was, first of all, that Ukraine would roll over. And secondly, that the West could not remain united. In this case, the West has, in fact, remained united. Let's talk to uh, let's see. Let's discuss. Let's talk to Tony and Slinger. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I would agree with you. You know, if if we're in or in, you can't be sort of in. It doesn't really make much sense. You know, I, I guess the overwhelming point, though, is why didn't we help Ukraine prepare to defend themselves 10 years ago? 
you know, the overwhelming question is, why do we have to have hundreds of thousands of people dying instead of supplying Ukraine with things like missile defense systems, anti-tank missiles 10 years ago so that Putin would not have invaded? Why did we do that? Why did we send them blankets? Didn't we promise them that if they gave up their nuclear weapons, the U.S. would help protect them? Yes, there were right, and, and I mean, thanks for the call today. I mean, but of course, that that, that it's, it is it. We are we are helping to protect them. I think, to the extent there was a miscalculation, and and we'll call it that. I mean, I think the miscalculation was made in the fact that I don't think anybody really thought that Putin was going to be crazy enough to to do this. Now, you you can argue that we, they should have. And, and they should have seen this coming and things like that. Uh, but but Vladimir Putin, I, I think you very much overestimated the ability of the Russian military, very much underestimated the ability of the Ukraine people to fight back, and very much, as I've been saying in the last 20 minutes, underestimated the ability of the, the West to unite together and, and fight him. But at this point in time, I think you have to, given the fact that he's not getting the message, given the fact that you continue, even though you're losing, to try to escalate these things, at this point in time, I think it would be a huge, huge mistake to say, all right, we've made all these commitments, but, you know, there's going to be a spring offensive. We have these tanks that are available that can help push back the Russians, but no, we're not going to give them to you. We're not going to allow you to take the fight to the Russians because we're afraid of what Vladimir Putin might do. Well, at at some point in time, I think you have to stand up to the, the bullies that are out there. Can you argue? And again, this is I'm getting some texts from people who are suggesting that, well, the problem is it's not giving the tanks. We shouldn't be over there in the first place. There's no interest that the United States has in what goes on with between Ukraine and Russia. And I guess I, I just disagree with that. We are a, we're, we're a global we're a world and having an aggressor like Vladimir Putin feel comfortable pushing into Ukraine and then perhaps pushing farther or farther. I don't think that's in the interest of the world. Keep in mind, the bad guy here, the only bad guy is Russia at this point in time. Let's uh, talk to Dick and Shano. Dick, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, I agree with you. I feel that what we've done uh, in the last 11 months has been months late and hundreds of tanks short. And in fact, I'll even go as far as saying as F-16 short, A-10 Warthog short, billions of bullets short. Um, and and, and one, one point that hasn't been talked about is the training that's required. Yeah. There's training that's going to be required for these tanks and uh, the uh, anti-missile systems and the uh, multiple head launchers. So now they're going to start with the with the training. I saw on CNN this morning that they're talking about they hope to have a training plan within weeks. The training sh- plan should have been on the on the table two yeah. months ago. Yeah. In, in yeah. March or April, in March or April, U.S. and NATO should have started training Ukrainian troops. That would have done two things. It would have sent a message to Putin that we are serious. And it also would have prepared the Ukrainians to be able to take these weapons and immediately move them into theater. 
No, Dick, thanks for calling. I mean, I think that's, that's fair. Uh, my, my understanding, and again, I, I, I quickly get beyond my depth when we're talking about sophisticated military arms. My understanding is that the, the German tanks, the, the Leopards, um, there and the ones that are also being provided by Poland, etc., they're going to go in right away. Now, there is a training thing. You're exactly right. It takes time. The, the U.S. tanks are going to come later because, first of all, they've got to get them through the procurement process, and then, again, you've got to get them over there, and then you've got to get the training thing. I think one of the fair questions is my understanding is that the, uh, a number of these, these Abrams tanks um, are, are actually – that the Marines have – are actually being decommissioned. So I don't, I don't understand, honestly, why. Because I agree with you. If we're going to do this, in for a penny, in for a pound. Get them, get them the stuff they need as quickly as they possibly can. Particularly so it's there in time if there is in fact a spring offensive. I don't understand why we're not taking some of these Abrams tanks that the Marines are going to decommission and sending them over there now and using the procurement process, you know, to to replace them or, or whatever um and so the you know you get the, the tanks out there quicker but you're exactly right there's going to be a, a training window that's there the german tanks get there sooner it's my understanding but you if if we're going to arm people let's let's we've got to arm people as to whether or not this leads to world war three i continue to believe no because at the end of the day i i just i for russia to try to escalate to that stage results in the end of Russia. And I got to think that Putin knows that Russia cannot take on the entire world. And so I, I don't think that there's I, I just I don't think anybody's crazy enough to do that. I don't know what the end game is. I, I confess this. I mean, I I don't know what the end game is in in Ukraine. Hopefully there's some sort of settlement that can work out. Hopefully you can give Putin some sort of face saving thing at the same time. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. You know, last March, Lindsey Graham gets all this static for saying, you know, the world would be a better place if somebody took Putin out. And you can define, put, take him out however you want. You know, um, make, just make him go away, put him, you know, on trial for war crimes in The Hague or whatever. I, I think, you know, at some point in time, if Putin does go away, however that happens, the world is going to be a much better place. And maybe that's what it's going to take to end the, the bloodshed in Ukraine. Jeff, the end game to the war in Ukraine is Putin being six feet under. Jeff, it could very well get worse before it gets better, but the truth is we have to stand up to Putin. Um, Jeff, uh, let's look at World War II. Stalin invaded Finland in the Winter War with almost identical results. The Soviet Russians got their clocks cleaned by the Finns. Putin's Russia is getting their clocks cleaned by the Ukrainians. Good. Besides, Russia has already gutted its military. Well, I think there's a lot to that. And look, I'm, I'm not a, I, I wish I wasn't a hawk in connection with this, but I just don't think you can allow this type of gre- aggression to go untamed. Welcome back. So glad to have you with us. Um, I confess that I am, I, I'm, that this, this is a, a big, big developing story this this robbery of the armored car this morning 815 79th and capital because this is there's something going on here this is obviously a planned sort of situation um you know we don't have all the details yet but it's emerging but apparently a number of people with um high-powered weapons um 
must have, you know, who ended up like holding up the, this armored car. It, it will be a federal investigation because I presume the bank is federally insured and things like that. But th- this is kind of scary if they're, I mean, this isn't some meth head walking into a convenience store and, and grabbing, you know, the money in a cash drawer. This is a sophisticated operation to take out, to take out an armored car. Um, involves lots of planning and lots of thought and lots of preparation, and it indicates that there's some really, really dangerous people that are out there on the streets. And I think um, my guess is also once they catch them, it it's going to turn out that it's not their first time at the rodeo. And this is this is a really big deal. We're going to be uh, continuing to pay attention to it. On the flip side of it, and I, I know I, I understand I sound like a broken record sometime on this. You you know, you have it's the out of control juvenile crime. Now here's here's a story. There were um, over the weekend. You might have seen it. A 14 year old boy and a 13 year old boy were were wounded. Um, this is the way Fox Six reports it. 14 year old Milwaukee boy is now charged in connection with the fatal shooting of a 14 year old boy and wounding a 13 year old on the city's north side. According to the criminal complaint, 52nd and Clark, Saturday, January 21st, when they arrived on the scene, officers found a 14 year old boy laying in the backyard of a resident suffering from a gunshot wound. He died on the scene. He had two gunshot wounds. Uh, let's see. While they're trying to save the life of the 14-year-old, they found a 13-year-old boy who suffered gunshot wounds as well. He has survived. Officers say that inside the garage they found several beer cans, two areas of blood spatter, and three fired 9-millimeter cartridge casings. Three fired bullets were recovered in the garage as well. Outside the garage, investigators recovered two more fired cartridge casings. A fired bullet was also recovered near the kid who was killed. Um, All the casings came from the same gun. Officers identified a 14-year-old boy. Um, He admitted to being present in the garage with the kid who ended up dead and the others. Uh, He admitted to having a firearm. He said he was playing around with the firearm when he claims that the firearm accidentally discharged one time and hit the guy, the kid who died in the abdomen. He um, then he said he dropped his firearm and ran off. Of course, no explanation for how six shots were fired and two people were shot. Um, he appeared in court. Bail set at a hundred thousand dollars, and uh, court said the media shall not show any image of the defendant's face, and the defendant's name may not be used. So interestingly, you know, here we have somebody who's believed to have murdered a kid, and we're not going to show his face and use his name, but. Of course, the Journal Sentinel decides that they're going to, you know, uh, use the name of other people today who has not been charged with a crime. But I digress. So you've got this horrible crime committed by a juvenile. Channel 12 did an interesting story yesterday where, where they pulled the numbers. These numbers I have are for kids under the age of 16. So 13, 14, 15, 12. Okay, so we're talking about 15-year-olds and younger. In 2022, Milwaukee police say they arrested children 15 and under 409 times for auto thefts and 76 times for armed robbery. In 2021, it was 554 times for auto theft, 54 for armed robbery. So the number of 15-year-olds and younger stealing cars who were arrested. Now, this is just the ones who are arrested. And we all know that 
it's you don't get caught you almost unless you're really unlucky or really stupid you don't get caught the first time you steal a car chances are it's going to be five ten times before you get caught um so the number but between 2021 and 2022 the number of 15 year olds and younger stealing cars who were caught decreased the number of 15 year olds and youngers committing armed robbery went up pretty dramatically. And, of course, there's all the different stories about, you know, recently the the 13-year-olds and 15-year-olds who led the police on a high-speed chase in the stolen car after an armed robbery the other day and hit and killed the 47-year-old man. So the the story that I was looking at on Channel 12 was talking about, they, they were interviewing kids. And who are part of like this this task force, and they were saying, okay, what what can we do to to stop this? Now, if you are a regular listener of this program, you you know what my solution is, and I'm I come from a law enforcement perspective, and I admit my solutions are reactive. My solutions are you catch a kid stealing a car, and there needs to be a consequence, and simply. Kid, putting the kid in juvenile detention for 12 hours and then returning him back to mom or dad to put him back out on the street, that is not a consequence. Catching a kid with a gun, a 15-year-old with a gun, well, there should be a consequence. There should be some form of detention. Get him off the streets. That is, I mean, and I admit, that is reactive. That is catching people after they have done stuff, but prosecuting them, teaching them that there are consequences so... Either they, they get the message and don't do it again, or alternatively, they're off the streets for a while so they can't continue to victimize the rest of us. But my solution is, is admittedly, it is reactive. It's something you do after they have committed the crime. Now, I always hear from people who say, well, what we really need to do is we need to be proactive. We need to figure out ways to stop little Johnny from stealing the car in the first place. We need to figure out a way to stop little Billy from taking the gun and sticking it in the face of the lady who's coming out of the Piggly Wiggly with her shopping cart and her full of food and and her purse. We need to stop them from doing that up front. We need to discourage them from it. And I am all in favor of that. I mean, I, I agree. My solution is the solution of the last resort. We've got to get them off the streets after they've committed crimes. If you can convince them not to commit crimes in the first place, well, you're, you're much better off. My problem, and I say this sincerely, is I don't have a good answer to how you stop people from committing these crimes, how you get to the 15-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 13-year-olds. I don't have a good answer as to how you tell them it's wrong to take a gun and stick it in the face of a 72-year-old woman. It's wrong to steal a car and drive away from the cops at 90 miles an hour and run through a red light. I don't know how you, you convince people of that. When I grew up, and maybe it was just it just wouldn't have occurred to me to do that. Maybe that's the way I, I grew up or, you know, whatever. So, you know, they were talking to some of these kids who are on these panels. And, Jeff, I feel like there are programs out there to keep young people busy. We need more resources, more things in school, more programs to help people so people don't need to steal cars. Well, I would argue that the vast majority of the 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds who are stealing cars, they're not doing it because they need to steal the cars. They're dealing it because they, they're doing it because they want to do the cars, because they want to steal the cars. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the um, old National Bank talk and text line. Here, here is my question. 
I, I acknowledge my response is reactive. I think that that's what you have to do. You have to teach consequences. But I'm open to suggestions. Is there something that we can meaningfully do to discourage people from doing this in the first place? Because obviously, if you don't steal the car, then you don't have to worry about catching people and punishing them and doing any of that stuff. Is there anything we can do, though, to stop these 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds from committing armed robberies? And if you think it's getting better, already we're not even out of January, and there have already been 44 people 15 and younger who've been arrested in Milwaukee for either car theft or armed robbery. And we're not out of January yet. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff, love the show. The idea of offering more after-school programs is great, but sadly, most of these kids aren't even in school. They're out committing crimes during the day. Um, yeah. Jeff, as you say numerous times before, it, before you know, these crimes, it's usually they're not the first time at the rodeo. Yeah, let me stop there. A- amen. I mean, it's just you, you don't, I think, wake up one day and say, okay, today's the day I'm going to go grab a gun at the age of 15, and I'm going to stick it in somebody's face and steal their car and lead the cops on a high-speed chase. I mean, my guess is you've done it multiple times in the past, and that's why these numbers on, on Channel 12, are a little bit misleading. I'm not saying they're being misleading, but when the cops say, well, you know, we've um, we've arrested, what were the numbers last year? You know, we ended up arresting uh, 409 kids for auto theft, 76 for armed robbery. That's, that's just the time they got caught. And you know very well that they've done it multiple occasions before that. Anyways, as you said numerous times, Jeff, it's usually not their first time at the rodeo. In their first exposure to committing a petty theft, let's say the parents and the child have to attend an eight-hour class. If their next crime is more serious, the parents have to go along for further training with the child 24, 40 hours of deterrent training. If you don't make the parent or guardian go, nothing will change. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I mean, I, and, I, and I, I, I throw this out there. It's, it's a serious conversation because my response, I admit, is reactive. It is. It's like, okay, we got to get the bad guys off the street. If you can come up with a, a good suggestion, you know, something that's workable, that's going to stop somebody from wanting being wanting able to steal a car or deciding to steal a car in the first place, that that's clearly a superior alternative. But I mean, I look at this, you say after school programs. Our texter is right; they're, they're not in school. You say you know, we used to have these conversations about midnight basketball. Well, if you offered midnight basketball, you would give people something to do. You know, really. I mean, I'm not against midnight basketball necessarily, but do you really think that that's going to be something that's going to stop somebody from saying, oh, I can play midnight basketball, so I'm not going to take a gun and stick it in some lady's face? I just, I think that there's a disconnect. To me, to me, the answer is that it starts with a fundamental concept of, of right and wrong. And it does start at home. And it starts with parents, and it starts be with, by being raised. And I, I look, I, I, I don't know if it's a single-parent family or by grandparents or by a committed two-parent family or whatever, but it starts with instilling these children that you've brought into the world with this basic sense of right and wrong. And it, it's really clear. I mean, sometimes I admit, as you go through life, there's just gray areas about what's right and what's wrong. Well, I think we can all agree that stealing a car or sticking a gun in somebody's face or fleeing from the cops at 90 miles an hour, that, that's, that ain't a gray area. It's very, very clear that that's 
That's wrong. Jeff, it's not brain surgery. I think you have to arrest. That's the problem, though. If And again, I, I agree with you. I think that's the situation where we're in now. But if if you can figure out, is there something that we can start doing that might save the next generation of kids? I'm all in favor of it. Jeff, let's face it. The problem is a lot of these juvenile delinquents do not have parents. Um, there's just no question uh, about it. Or by that, I mean, yes, they, they have biological mothers and biological fathers, but they don't have that, that parent that's going to be involved. And or if they do, they're, they're not concerned about the parent or the parent has done a crummy job and hasn't instilled in them that basic concept of right and wrong. Um, there, there's no question about that there is no solution other than to lock them up and build more jails well i think my solution clearly is the one that you have to do but at the same time um i'm all in favor of proactive but i just again i I hear these ideas are well we, we we need more opportunities and we need things like that but you know there's all sorts of opportunities that are around there look it's not it's not that hard to figure out ways that you can be successful in this world. Stay in school, um, stay off the needle, you know, don't do drugs, stay out of gangs, and don't commit crimes. I mean, that's that that at least enhances your chance of doing well. I, I would say, you know, also that you know, if you're a 14 year old girl, don't get pregnant. If you're a 14 year old boy, don't get your 14 year old girlfriend pregnant because that just brings up a whole other thing. The, these are, in some respects, it's kind of simple when you lay it out there. But if if you don't do a good job instilling a basic sense of right and wrong in kids, it, it's not going to happen. Joe in West Bend. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, yeah, this is a direct result of truth in sentencing, which I'm, I'm sure you're aware of, and we're a proponent of such things. Um, that's pretty much what we're talking about now, and we're going to reap the um, consequences of that in another 20 years with even worse population kids. Um, truth in sentencing was supposed to solve all of Milwaukee crime problems when they were talking about it. As we see now, all it did was lock up the fathers of these kids, for very long times, for just because that's what that's what the law says. You know, now you got to serve what is it, ninety five percent of your time. Um. So yeah, that that might be a solution. Bring bring the fathers back. Uh, thank you. Well, look, th- thanks for the call, Joe. Your your solution. I I want to let you speak your piece. Your solution is dad commits a crime. Dad goes out and robs an armored car. And your solution is let's dad, let dad out of prison quicker so he can go back and what commit more crimes or so I mean okay taking taking the the criminal father and putting them back into the environment because they're going to be a good role model for the kid huh having trouble with that one it's a difficult situation and I do think it starts with parental involvement and it starts with, you know, people understanding that we have to go back and somehow we have to instill some sort of moral code and teach people right from wrong. I appreciate it also involves, you know, giving folks opportunities and giving people alternatives to getting involved in gang lifestyles and things of the like. 
But until we can figure out some concrete ways to do it, I, I think whether it's truth in sentencing or locking people up to protect the rest of us, that's kind of where we're at right now. The Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I have been... Good afternoon, Wisconsin. I've been waiting all day to discuss this issue with you. Do you feel that you have been ripped off? Do you want to join in this class action lawsuit? Now, we, we hear a lot about class action lawsuits, and there, there is definitely a role for that, by the way. I mean, sometimes it's a situation where you have an automobile company that, I don't know, produces a, a defective sort of product, and it's causing all sorts of harm, but the only way that you can really get them to change things is not just one individual suing, but you need to sue on behalf of a lot of people. On the other hand, there are some of these class action lawsuits, kind of like the well, Subway advertises it's a foot long, but when I actually got my sandwich, it was only 11 and a half inches because, well, the, the bread was uh, a foot long when they put it into the oven, but it came out a little bit less. So you, you get those sort of as well. So my question is, where, where on the scheme of things does this particular lawsuit file <clears throat> fall? So here's the background. Um, if, you are, if you are a whiskey drinker, you are perhaps familiar with the Sazerac Company. Sazerac Company makes all sorts of of liquors. Um, they make, if you're a bourbon drinker like I am, they, they make a lot of high-end bourbons. They make E.H. Taylor. They make Wellers. They make Blantons. I was at dinner the other night with a friend of mine. Thank you, Dick. He shared a bottle of Blantons with me. They make Buffalo Trace. They make Eagle Rare. These are all kind of high-end, high-end sort of bourbons. They also... Um, in 1989, they bought the Fireball Whiskey. <laughs> yeah, Fireball Whiskey Manufacturing Company it was made in Canada. They bought that. So Sazerac, the same company that makes Wellers and Blanton and Buffalo Trace and E.H. Taylor and Eagle Rare, they also make they make good old Fireball, right? Now, for those of you who are not whiskey drinkers, one of the things that you will um, quickly learn is the fact that, you know, um, Fireball is it's popular. Well, I think it's 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 certainly popular among younger drinkers. But but Fireball is cinnamon flavored whiskey. You know that's kind of how how this this all works. And it, it's it's popular among young people. Um, it's it kind of has a burn to it. I I have to confess I've had it once or twice. I, I, I'm a bourbon drinker. Fireball whiskey is not my thing, but they make Fireball whiskey, and it is extremely extremely popular. Okay, so the question becomes: All right, where, why is this an issue? Why are we talking about this? Well, here's here's the deal. Convenience stores, a lot of times, like gas stations and stuff, they they don't have licenses that allow them to sell liquor. They have licenses that allow them to sell wine and beer, but they don't allow themselves to, they don't, they're not allowed to sell hard liquor, of which Fireball whiskey is a hard liquor. So you might not have noticed this, and that's kind of the purpose of, of the lawsuit, but Sazerac, the company that makes Fireball, they have started coming out with a malt product. And what they're doing is they sell it in little, like, airplane bottles. If you go and you buy a bottle of Fireball whiskey, 
the label says Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. Okay, that's that's what it does. That that's the alk. That's the that's the, the the true whiskey. Well, because there's a lot of convenience stores that can't sell hard liquor, but yet they think that there's a demand for this product. Fireball has started making a malt beverage product, and what it they, they call it Fireball Cinnamon. They sell it. The label looks almost identical to the label that you would get on a regular bottle of Fireball whiskey, which will say Fireball Cinnamon whiskey. This will say Fireball Cinnamon. And then, I mean, it's sold on like little airplane bottle size things. So if you just look at this, you think, hey, I'm, I'm, you might think I'm buying a bottle of Fireball whiskey, this little thing, but instead it, it's really not. It's Fireball Cinnamon, which is essentially a malt-based beverage that has a drop of whiskey flavor in it. Now, I have not had this, so and I do not claim to be a connoisseur of Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey, so I cannot tell you whether or not the Fireball Cinnamon, the malt beverage, whether it tastes like the Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey or not, although I assume the overriding taste is going to be cinnamon. It has a much lower alcohol content, um, much well more consistent with what you would get from, like, say, malt liquor, um, as opposed to, you know, buying the whiskey. So anyhow, there's a class action lawsuit which has now been filed. The class action lawsuit says that people who are buying this, these little airplane bottles of the malt beverage, Fireball Cinnamon, they are being deceived because they think they are buying Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. So the lawsuit says, hey, this is deceptive advertising. These Fireball drinkers, they're getting duped when they're picking up a bottle of Fireball Cinnamon at the convenience stores. They cannot be expected to, you know, read the label and tell the difference. Now, I was I was having dinner with a friend of mine. We were with another couple the other night. And um, their daughter is a, a, a sales rep for actually for Buffalo Trace. And I was kind of talking about this story and he reaches into his drawer and he pulls out some of these like small like airplane bottle sizes of of the whiskey. And because they also have the little bottles of the whiskey that you could presumably buy in the liquor store. And it says Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. All right. Our number 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Is this a, a lawsuit? The one label says Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. That is sold in liquor stores. The other label says Fireball Cinnamon. That is sold at gas stations, convenience stores, places that don't have a full liquor license. The argument the lawyers are making is we are deceiving all these people because they're buying the malt beverage, really thinking that they are getting the whiskey, and so they are getting ripped off. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. I'm going to need some whiskey glasses because I don't want to see the truth. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage, um, Mortgage, old habits die hard. The old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, this is the lawsuit. 
Um, do you think this is deceptive? In other words, that people who are going into the convenience stores and they are buying, they, they see the label says Fireball Cinnamon. It doesn't say Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. It says Fireball Cinnamon. And as it turns out, they're really not getting Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. They're getting a, a malt beverage that has cinnamon in it and has a little bit of whiskey flavoring, much lower alcohol content. Jeff, it sounds pretty deceptive to me. Once everyone knows this, though, um, there ends the money for... For the new stuff, um, Jeff, I'm a Fireball purchaser. Typically, I get it at a liquor store, but I would have never thought to look to see if it was not actual whiskey. I just assumed the small bottles, which look identical to the larger bottle, would be the same thing. Um, yes, Jeff, since when would somebody think that Fireball Cinnamon malt beverage has whiskey in it? That's ridiculous. Well, see, I think that's the key. But in, in fairness, you do have to... You've got to look at the small print, which is really small on these like 3.9-ounce bottles, to see that it is a malt beverage. The, the difference is the reason you can tell what you're getting, if you know it, is Fireball Cinnamon versus Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. It doesn't contain the word whiskey in the on the label. Um, uh, let's see. Jeff, um, who buys airplane bottles except alcoholics? I, well, that's – no, I mean – I. I I mean, sometimes you have it just for a convenience of this as well. 855-616-1620. A couple people are saying that it sounds deceptive. I guess some people are asking, is there a price difference? Yeah. I mean, it's going to vary. But, yes, they they charge charge less for the, the bottle of what the malt beverage than they do for for the whiskey. But at the same time, um, I think that. I think there's maybe there's people that think that they're getting a deal because they're they're getting the whiskey. Oh, this is going to be the whiskey. Here we're having the fireball. I guess I look at this and say there, there's there's a lot of stuff candidly out there that I think is deceptive and that that outrages me. You know, we're we're really you know um, or like bait and switch tactics. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in the world that I, I get upset about. And I think, boy, this is something that's really designed to you know deceive the consumers. In this particular case, I guess I'm thinking you go into a convenience store. The convenience store doesn't sell liquor. All it does is sell like wine and beer. And you see that these little bottles that are there. I mean, I think that's kind of the tip off that, well, this isn't they don't have this isn't a liquor store. They don't have liquor. So this is kind of like the tip off that this is a little bit different. Secondly, I just don't see how people are harmed. I, that's the the other thing. It's like okay, um, you know, I, I like this Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey, but you know, I, I've tried the, this malt beverage, and hey, it's it's not bad. It tastes like Fireball Cinnamon, and you know what? It doesn't it doesn't get me um, as drunk as fast. So I'm I'm trying to figure out where the the harm is to this particular thing, and the the other thing is if you try it, you buy the bottle. Um, you have the little thing and you go, boy, I really don't like this. This doesn't taste like the regular fireball. Then you start exploring and you find that it is something that's different. I don't think this is, you know, that this is the whole idea of, I mean, to me, quite candidly, I'm not going to think that you're necessarily that you have been victimized or anything like that. It's more like a situation of, well, maybe you need to kind of take a look at this. And as far as a class action lawsuit, I, I don't know. I mean, how... 
how who is going to benefit from this particular thing once again other than the attorneys who are involved in this number of people are commenting about uh gee i never noticed that there was a difference but um you can run your lawnmower on fireball whiskey i am not a fan of it either well again it's just it's just something um you know it's just something different jeff we actually um save most of our pocket rocket bottles that's what we call them can't wait to check them out tonight they're on display in our basement well um it's if i have contributed to that you know yeah go go check them out because like i say there's a difference fireball cinnamon whiskey versus you know fireball whiskey i guess i just don't see people being deceived by this and to the extent that okay you thought that you were getting the regular whiskey and now you're getting the malt beverage i don't necessarily see that you are going to be harmed in any way shape or form with this let's talk to mike in gurney illinois mike you're on wtmj yeah about that lawsuit yeah yeah what do you think i think it's uh I, I think it's 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 kind of crazy, simply because uh, if you buy stuff at a store that that doesn't sell liquor, uh, <laughs> and, and if it if it if it, it, it if it changes, it would have a big signs up there. We now sell liquor. Yeah. So right. another, uh, another word, uh, another word. You uh, if you buy something from a regular store, and you know you you know you bought liquor from a liquor store. You check the ingredients. That's all. I know. Thanks for call, Mike. I, I see. I'm, I'm right. I, I'm with you. If you're in a store that doesn't have a liquor license and they're not selling liquor and they're only selling beer and they're selling malt liquor and they're selling wine, that should be the tip off that's here. Um, this I, I'm looking at a story about this in the Washington Post. Many bottles of Fireball Cinnamon don't contain whiskey. Oh, we're ripped off. It tastes like the whiskey. Um, it's got whiskey flavoring in it, but oh, this is terrible. You know, we want to collect money because it doesn't actually have whiskey in it. If I'm on this particular jury, I just, I'm not going to be too sympathetic. Gary in Greendale. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. I've been listening to your recent comments, and I have to agree with you. I think this is a very frivolous kind of a lawsuit. I think lawyers have money in their eyes. But my take on the whole thing is that given the fact that that if it is a fact that more young people are attracted to this sort of thing, it reminds me of the dumbing down of our society and our education system. Read the label. I think parents should teach kids that every time they go to the store. And like you say, if it's something that they don't like, well, just don't buy it again, you know? Yeah, no, thanks to call, Gary. No, I'm, I'm with you exactly. I mean, it's like... Okay, we, what, and again, I keep coming back to this. What, what are your real damages? This is to me like, okay, what's, what's the damage? You go into that, you go into the, uh, the submarine sandwich shop, you go into Subway, okay, it's a foot long. It turns out you're going to get just as much meat as you normally would get. It's just because they put the bread in the oven. Oh, the bread ended up shrinking, it, it, but it started out as a foot, as, as a foot long. In this particular case, they're not saying that it's whiskey. They're saying it's fireball cinnamon. It's sold at places that don't sell hard liquor. And if you read the ingredients, 
it says, well, it, it's kind of, uh, it, it says it's kind of got whiskey flavors that are in it. Right. To me, I, I think this is a lot of the buyer beware sort of stuff. It's kind of like, to me, this argument is very similar to like Heineken nowadays has their non-alcoholic version that's out and it's in it's in bottles that very closely resemble what the regular Heineken is. So it's like, well, I, you know, wait a second. All, all of a sudden, I, I bought this Heineken, and I, I didn't understand that it wasn't like the regular Heineken. I looked at the shape of the bottles. Ah, I believe that there's a role for class action lawsuits. In this particular case, no. Bottom line is, you shouldn't probably be drinking Fireball whiskey anyways. You know, you need to kind of raise raise your taste buds a little, you know, do your stomach a favor, kind of upgrade a little bit if you're going to be drinking whiskey. But if you do decide that you're going to go with Fireball, you better read the label, especially if you're buying it in a convenience store. A lot of conversation about the Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. A number of people saying, huh, this is going to be the conversation over the weekend. And and I understand there's a degree of confusion. Somebody just sent me a picture saying, you're reporting this wrong. Here's here's the, here's the what some of these airplane bottles look like. And they send me a picture of the Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. And my response is, no. Yes, there is, there is Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. And then there's Fireball Cinnamon. And the argument is that people aren't going to look at the labels and they're going to think they're buying Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey when they're really buying Fireball Cinnamon. So, uh, buyer beware. Buyer beware. Okay. He's back. Donald Trump. If you haven't been following this, the story is that um, after a two-year Facebook ban, Facebook, which is now Meta, um, has announced that he is going to be returning to so the social media presence. In other words, they are going to be allowing him to post on Facebook, and it's going to be a phase-in, I think, is, is the way this has worked out. But he will be back. Now, here, here's kind of the significance for, for Trump. At least it was the significance for Trump in the past. When we are, whenever, most times when people would talk about Donald Trump, they would talk about his, his, his tweets, he used Twitter to communicate his ideas to people. That that's so, and you know, agree with him or disagree with him. Th- that's how he. That's how he did this. Um, so he, he'd use tweets. The flip side of this is he would use Facebook to raise money, and you know, Facebook allowed him to generate a huge amount of donations from from this but the whole idea is that the twitter that's how he would communicate with ideas so he's going to be back on facebook and the thinking is this is now going to allow him again another avenue to kind of raise money i i don't know if that's going to work or not but there is a larger issue that this presents and i remember i'm i was looking and i'm looking at all the different stories that are out there always oh, back out on facebook he's back out on facebook i will say this I know, I won't say I know nobody, I know very few people who are still on Facebook. And the people that I know on Facebook aren't on Facebook any to any degree as much as they were, say, a couple years ago. It's just, and the people I know who are on Facebook, most of them 
use it as a way to you know keep track of friends. It's like, oh, you know, I, I follow this. I, I see, you know, whether it's kids or grandkids or, gee, that you, you put it up the fact that you're in Key West or whatever. We're, we're following that. They don't necessarily use it anymore as a way of communicating about politics or current events or things of the like. And I guess my, my thinking was, OK, Trump is back on, on Facebook, you know, is it going to make any difference? Um, and candidly, has Facebook jumped the shark? Okay, just one segment. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Here is my question. Are you still, are you on Facebook? Do you use Facebook? Do you use Facebook as much as you used to use Facebook? Or has Facebook, whatever Whatever interested or drove people to Facebook, you know, 10 years ago, the social network, that whole sort of thing. Um, Have people outgrown Facebook and have you moved on to other things? I think this is one of these deals. And a matter of fact, I I don't I think the answer to that is yes. And I don't think that uh, Donald Trump's presence one way or another I don't think the presence of Donald Trump one way or the other on Facebook is going to make much of a difference. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Has Facebook jumped the shark? Let's talk about that. And then Donald Trump is back. Somebody else might be leaving. 855-616-1620. I think Facebook has jumped the shark. And and interestingly enough, the the big stories today, again, are Donald Trump is out there and Donald Trump is going to be back on Facebook. The the significance was when when Trump was in office and when he was running, Twitter was his his choice, his social media choice of, of communicating with people. But Facebook was the way he raised money. And um, so the argument would be that, okay, well, the the being back on Facebook might be a bigger deal. I think Facebook is different. Jeff, I'm a latecomer to Facebook. I like it, but not for politics. Jeff, Facebook, maybe once a month. Instagram, now more weekly. Those that look at it daily or hourly don't have a life and need to put the electronics down and do something else more productive. Jeff, I like to use Facebook to post photos, create invitations for events I'm hosting, and also discuss news stories online. I think it's a nice social media app. I still use it every day. I, it's interesting because, like I say, most of the people I know, that they, they don't really use it as, I, again, an, to discuss the news stories. That's where I think maybe you get that jump the sharp shark factor. Instead, again, they do use it. Here, this is this is a picture of us. We're in Arizona or whatever. Jeff, I um, let's see. I quit Facebook six years ago when I started to realize that it's not a fair platform for opposing viewpoints. I think it's just one more liberal think tank. Jeff, I haven't posted anything to Facebook since 2010. Jeff, I only use Facebook to keep in touch with family and friends. I recently found a distant cousin through Facebook. No politics. Yeah, I think... I think more and more people are getting to that point. And I think also, just like 
that we talk about with newspapers all the time. I mean, show me show me somebody right now under the age of 50 that reads the hard copy of a newspaper. And, you know, other than maybe if you're sitting waiting to have your oil changed or something like that, and they happen to have a newspaper that's out there. Um, I, I think, you know, with Facebook, I think it's getting to be that same stage. I wonder how many people under the age of even, say, 40 use Facebook anymore. So for everybody that thinks that, oh, Donald Trump back on Facebook, maybe this is going to be a big deal. Don't know. All right. So he's back on Facebook. He might be going. Stories all over the media, local media, regional media, national media, that this might be the end of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And there seems to be a conventional wisdom that is emerging, and, and nobody knows for sure. But the conventional wisdom is Aaron Rodgers would be open to being traded. He would be open to leaving Green Bay. There's one story after another talking about, okay, where what teams might want him. Big story in the New York Post today about could Aaron Rodgers be going to the New York Jets and what would it take and would the owner be willing to shell out all the money that he's going to get. Big story in the local newspaper USA Today analyzing what I think they've got like seven or eight, nine potential teams that Aaron Rodgers could go to. But I think now more than ever, the, the previous discussions kind of be it been, would Aaron Rodgers retire or not? Well, Aaron Rodgers is due to make 58 million bucks. Aaron Rodgers isn't, he's not going, he's not walking away from 58 million bucks. That, that's just not going to happen. Plus, you've got Aaron Rodgers starting to talk about like his, his future. Um, he's embracing the villain role. And for all the people that love Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and appreciate his, his abilities, I think there's more and more people who are kind of maybe just tired of, of the games and tired of, uh, of, of all the angst and tired of all the stuff that's been going on. And maybe people were willing to tolerate it when he was 31 years old, but now that he's 39 years old and he appears to have his skills going down a little bit, um, I think people are, are more... I don't know, less receptive to the game. But we only got a couple minutes left. But I do want to open up the phone lines and our text line. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. If it turns out these stories are true and the Packers are able to find a trading partner for Aaron Rodgers and they are able to send him somewhere else, and then move on with their reloading or rebuilding process. All right, what will your reaction be? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. If it turns out that Aaron Rodgers has, in fact, finally played his last game as a Green Bay Packer, your reaction to that news, if he ends up in Pittsburgh or he ends up in San Francisco or he ends up in New York or whatever, your reaction, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line, my reaction, two words, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready because I appreciate what he has meant to the Packers team what he has meant to the state of Wisconsin. I, I, nothing, taking nothing away from a guy who's had a great career and will go into the Packers Hall of Fame and will go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But the truth of the matter is, I think the act, I think the act just gets old. And at some point in time, 
you kind of say uh, enough is enough. And the idea that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tired of all the drama. I'm tired of the, gee, will the guy show up? Won't the guy show up? I'm tired of the, gee, you're on the field and you're shaking your head when the receiver that you didn't work with enough during the summer because you wanted to be off on whatever island you were off in, you know, doing whatever you were doing, doesn't run exactly the right pattern. So you don't have your timing quite down and you're shaking your head and you're rolling your eyes and stuff. I guess I'm just, I'm ready. And I don't know if the Packers are going to be a better team with him or without him. Don't know if his skills are going to continue to go downhill. Although, as I frequently say, when it comes to professional athletics and athletes, generally their their butts don't age like fine wine. And at some point in time, you, you have a, a drop-off. And he's 39 years old, and I think you're starting to see that drop-off, which isn't to say that he's not a good quarterback. But, you know, if this is his last game, I'm... My reaction is, I'm ready. 855-616-1620. Let's get some text. Good riddance. Okay. Jeff, my reaction would be, finally, see you later, Karen. With apologies to all the Karens out there. Another one. Good riddance. Um, (laughs) 855-616-1620. Let's start with Brian in Manitowoc. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Um, Hi, Brian. Part of me says I'm ready for a change. The other part says it's kind of a, I don't know, a sad situation. When I don't think they got him enough weapons over the past years to to get mm-hmm. a, another Super Bowl for him. A lot of people complained this year, uh, and I don't blame him. He didn't come to the OTAs. You got new receivers there. You know, he should have been trying to gel with them. But, you know, I don't think there's times in that draft two years ago, all the receivers, they could have got somebody um, other teams did. Um, So I'm kind of split between that. I really, if he comes back, like you said, I can't see him turning down 60 million, 58 million (laughs) to come back. But if we can get, if we can get though, Jeff, a good, a couple number ones, maybe another good player or two, and let's see what Jordan loves. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks for call, Brian. I, I, I agree, and I don't wish Aaron Rodgers ill, but at the same time, sometimes it's just you, you get to that point where it's time to move on. I'll give you a football example. I think the Packers reached that point. I, I like Mike McCarthy. I, maybe I'm in the minority here. I always I, I, I met him a couple times. I always thought he was a class act. I think he's a better coach than he perhaps gets credit for. But at the same time, I understand why the Packers moved on. Now, Aaron Rodgers helped push him out the door, but I understand why the Packers moved on. It, it was just time. Sometimes, you know, he'd, he'd been there for, what, 12 or 13 years or whatever. You just get to this point where, okay, you, everybody needs a change of scenery. I, I understand that. Um, boy, our texts are kind of interesting on this. Jeff, I'm glad he's done. Jeff, as a Packers fan, I'm ready to see him go. I wanted it years ago. Also, as a Jets fan, I don't want him. Um, I think it's time. Um, okay, so that's it. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, 855-616-1620. Um, good riddance. Bring in Jay Cutler. Um, Jeff, we could have had the same season, but with young players and a future to build on, now we're stuck with what-ifs. Jeff, my reaction would be don't let the door hit you on the way out. 
Jeff, I agree 100%. I'm ready for Rodgers to move on and for the Packers to rebuild. Jeff, I think it's time for Aaron Rodgers' era to end in Green Bay. I'd like to see someone run the offense uh, the way that LaFleur wants to. A lot of people saying, don't let the door hit you on the way out. This is interesting to me because I remember I was doing a radio show when we had, um, when, when Brett Favre went through this kind of kabuki dance, will he, won't he? And our reaction was split. It's about 50-50. The Packers are mistreating Brett Favre. No, it's time for Brett to go. Um, whenever we discuss this, the, the sense is goodbye and good luck. I would say um, I'd say about 90% of the fans are ready for him to move on. Bye, Felicia. I'm sick of this dude and hearing will he or won't he. Um, see ya. Avider saying. Um, well, yeah, you've got a number of that thing there. Goodbye and good luck. Jeff, I'll be happy if Aaron Rodgers moved on. Love the pack. Thankful for the years he gave us. But honestly, I'm ready for some change. And it's getting old with all the grumbling. And that, I think, you know, is the sentiment that I probably have from another 50 or so texters that I haven't gotten a chance to read.